1: evolution of football and what will be the next big thing that's what we're talking about on stealing bananas this week i'm ben Gretsch, always joined by sean siegel and we have an incredible guest this week to talk about all of these big picture topics but specifically uh a little bit about quarterbacks you know him as the late round quarterback guru he's jj zacharyson the editor-in-chief at fanduel and the host of the fantastic Late Round Podcast, which is just absolutely one of my favorites. A podcast that covers just an absolute ton of different topics, but also what I love about it is it toes the line where it doesn't just do that at a surface level, but you do an awesome job of of really digging in a couple of layers deep into everything, which is so hard to do as an analyst across so many different things. So love that podcast. Definitely go check that out. JJ, how are you doing?
2: I appreciate that, man. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I, I really like set out whenever I started that show to make it like a like a Ted talk each episode for fantasy football. Um, So hopefully people are digging it, but yeah, that's become sort of like my baby in the space at this point. So I appreciate that you like it.
3: JJ, we're going to be talking about the evolution of football on this show. That's obviously a huge topic. So we'll get into some specifics. I'm excited to hear your thoughts on late round QB, because obviously the, hybrid quarterbacks and the huge scoring that we got from quarterbacks this past season has changed the way people are attacking that we'll jump into that a little bit later but just to get us going here for you what's the next big thing in fantasy football or football
2: I was thinking about this question because it's a deep question right like there's a lot of different directions that you could go with it Um, you know, I do think that the quarterback thing is, is is one piece that we'll, we'll get into uh, a little bit deeper. Um, and and that's one thing that I do see evolving, uh, you know, over the next few years, but you know, I, I thought about this question and when you think of the, the things that really dictate, uh, what the next big thing would be in fantasy football, it's really three things. I think, I think it's league wide trends where you just see different, you know, the doing different things and, uh, schemes, uh, changing and so on. There's the player talent side of things, where you get this like influx of uh, good running backs, wide receivers, quarterbacks, what have you, and some of those players are also different, right? Like this past year, we saw a lot of small wide receivers, and how is that going to change things? And year before that, we had more alpha types, and how does that change things? And, and then I think the, the the third thing is sort of just how is the fantasy football market itself shifting, right? And how is how is ADP shifting is really what that means. Um, and so you know, all of those things play into one another in some way, like you know, you get an influx in talent and then a year or two later, you're going to see that reflected uh, in ADP in some way. You know, you generally from a redraft standpoint, won't see that reflected immediately, uh, but you'll see it reflected in some way. And so when I thought about that, one of the things that I really think we're going to start to see, um, and it could be a contrarian way, it's already being, you know, talked about enough uh, across fantasy football uh, in the fantasy football world. You know, over the last few years, we've seen RB2s in fantasy football sort of increase their ADP. You know, if you look at the RB20, just as a random data point, uh, you know, four years ago, it was that, that RB20 was being drafted. This is all my fantasy league data, but uh, it was being drafted around pick 70. Uh, and now it's like in the low 40s, right? And it's and a lot of that, I think, you know, comes down to the facts of people look at the wide receiver position in particular, and every single year they say the wide receiver position is deep. But then at the end of the season, we go back and look and we see things like win rates really skew towards early round wide receivers and them being higher. Uh, we see bust rates uh, really favor early round wide receivers as well. There's just a lot of data that suggests that wide receiver always appears deeper than it actually is. And then you, you sort of combine that with what's been going on around the fantasy industry this offseason, which is, you know, RotoViz has been talking about it for years. I talked about it on my, on my podcast as well uh, over the last few years, and that's the running back dead zone area, right? And it's this this notion of uh, these running backs not only get worse when you get into these RB2s don't not only get worse in terms of expected outcome, uh, but the opportunity cost. That's the side that I think that isn't really focused on enough in general with these talks. People people think that the RB2 the, the the running back dead zone is more like oh these RB2s suck. Well, it's not just that. It's that the the opportunity cost involved in getting those running backs is that you're missing out on these really good wide receivers in that range, right? And I think what we're seeing this season in particular. You have these RB twos that are being drafted really early. I mean, in the third rounds in, in the early fourth round, and we see them as safe options. And I think a lot of that's being driven by the 2020 class. There's a lot of good running backs from that class. A lot of people are, you know, focused on the wide receivers, this is a great wide receiver class, too. But we have these really good running backs from this 2020 class, and that's driving up these costs a little bit. But at the end of the day, not all of those backs are going to hit and right now ADP is making the assumption that they are going to hit in some way and so i think what we're going to see is sort of what we saw you know from like 2012 into like 2015 when when like zero rb was at its peak in terms of in terms of how applicable it was is that you know we we see these sort of oscillations in how well these rb2s perform and, and especially versus ADP, and back then, you know, when 2015 hit, and you had that Devonte Freeman season, and there wasn't that much going on at the running back position, and then people just react to that, right? Instead of sort of staying, staying uh, uh, more level-headed about their approach and their strategy. And so one of the things that that I really I think is going to happen is that we're going to just inflate these RB two values. You know, now that we're seeing more and more content written around the, the running back dead zone, and, and really we just have a lot of data to suggest that these RB2s generally don't hit nearly as well as we think that they do, I think it'll oscillate back the other way. But over these next couple of years, we're probably going to see this this sort of inflation at that position.
3: Well, you know how to come on a show and really a topic. <laughs> yeah, speak but out language anyway. Anybody <laughs> who comes on and says zero running back is, is, is going to... Hit this season. That's, I mean, you, you've already <laughs> done done the work there. One of the things that I think is kind of interesting with this, we do hear a lot about the running back dead zone. I think that Mike Beer's tools uh, th- that we've had on the site for a while and really show just, I mean, how crazy that is. But now people are starting to understand it a little better. One of the reactions seems to be that people are trying to avoid that round three, round four dead zone by just drafting that same guy in round two, which I don't think that
1: that is, is, is going to avoid it, dude. Are you? <laughs> right. I think JJ was, was saying that, and it. it I, I gotta tell the story right now. I gotta cut in, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, JJ, that I'm gonna go into this whole thing. But we referenced this article I wrote years ago in, in the first episode this week about trends that changed the game. And, and Sean added it way back in the day, it was at Rotovis, and he added this sentence that is so perfect for what, what you were just talking about. And the the funny part of the story is that I wrote this 2,000 word article. He added this one sentence in the conclusion. You know, Sean's very typically nice way it was like, "Hey, you know, I added this. You know, check it out." I was like, "I love it." But then it got shared on Twitter, and somebody quoted this sentence. It was like, "This is just a perfect sentence." And I was like, "Cool, yeah, I wrote 2,000 words, and you found the one sentence that Sean <laughs> that Sean added. Good job." But the 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 comment was that drafters almost always create themes out of last year's most compelling stories, even when those stories do not reflect the most important trends. And they struggle to identify future shifts in style or opportunity in any meaningful way. And I think that's what we're seeing with the draft and that you were just talking about is where people are acknowledging that the running back dead zone is a thing. But the way that they're adjusting is they're taking dead zone running backs even higher in the draft as if that's going to solve the problem. That doesn't solve the problem. You're just making a worse pick. Right. I mean,
2: yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And people make excuses, right? Like one of the uh, like I do a mailbag every episode for the or every week for the late round podcast. I do a mailbag episode, and I got a, a question a couple of weeks ago that was like, yeah, yeah, Like I did an episode on the running back dead zone because it was a hot topic, and I just want to share some data. And, and someone emails me, and they're like, okay, I understand the, red, the, the running back dead zone is a thing, but Mike Davis is projected to see a really big workload, and Miles Gaskins projected to see a really big workload too. And I'm like, dude, that's the point. Like that's the point. These guys project. To have a certain workload, and and we look at these players and we say, yeah, I mean, like like no one's saying that it's a black and white one hundred percent to zero percent type thing with running backs being drafted in round four, right? That's just not that that's not what the running back does, and this is about probability, right? And so when we're saying uh, running backs generally aren't producing at 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 expectation in this area of your draft, we're not saying avoid these running backs no matter what. We're saying that the players generally drafted there are players who aren't locked in with these very obvious workhorse roles and they don't have the pedigree that other running backs might have, uh, you know, even just around earlier, which is why, you know, someone like Mike Davis, even though everything looks like it's lining up for him, and I understand the allure to someone like Mike Davis, it's still, you know, he's still a 28-year-old journeyman running back who broke out, you know, late in his career. And and that's, that's something that seems to get ignored because when we look at projections, projections say one thing. And it just goes back to my general thesis and idea about and just the way that I view fantasy football is the fact that people think that they know way more than they do. And I think that's something that like Rotoviz has done for years, is just the idea of embracing variance and embracing the fact that we can be wrong about things. And I don't think that's ever going to be something that the masses fully embrace. And then as a, a, in turn, that's always something that we can take advantage of.
1: Yeah, Davis is the quintessential that's on running back this year. Great.
3: great
2: yeah, yeah, JJ, when we're looking at this idea of thinking that we
3: know more than we do, we're doing this topic on the next big thing in fantasy football. But there's also this question of, do we recognize the next big thing even when it's already happened? You can look at a lot of different specific elements of fantasy football over the last five years where people said, okay, well, this has changed and you need to play this way as a result of last season. And really, all you needed to do was take advantage of the fact that that season was a little bit of a fluke. How can we tell the difference?
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, 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 it's funny that I'm talking to the fantasy football contrarian when, like, that—that's really the way that we should be approaching our drafts year in and year out. It's—it's it's not necessarily to be contrarian, just to be contrarian. It's to me, uh, it's—it's it's less about betting against what happened the previous year and being more level-headed about what happens year in and year out, right? Like, one of the things that's really big this year also is anchor RB or hero RB or however you want to talk about it, uh, and, and name it. Uh, I, I don't know what, what the, the accepted name at this point is for, for that strategy, but it's funny. I mean, I play in leagues with both of you guys and you guys know, in expert leagues, people have been doing that strategy for years and years. Like we've been, this is something that, that is constant and not just applicable to this particular season. This is something that, uh, works all the time, right? Especially in certain formats where you have three wide receivers and a flex full PPR league. I mean, that, that's the way that I sort of view things is that, uh, when we have uh certain strategies that we know have worked across across multiple seasons i'm talking four five six seasons that are very consistent go with those strategies that are fairly proven and a lot of times those strategies just naturally end up being contrarian because they're not just based off of last season's data and so i think that's what we're seeing you know it's it's funny that we're going to see more of those like anchor RB teams, probably. And, and just because the strategies become bigger and bigger, and I'm still going to draft that way because I've generally drafted that way, you know, historically. Um, so maybe the edge isn't as significant as it was in the past, um, but it's still something that I've found to be successful. And it makes sense again to do this year because it's just been successful across multiple seasons.
0: Hey, Rotoviz radio listener. This is Curtis Patrick from the Dynasty Command Center podcast, and I've got a special deal for you today. Go to rotoviz.com, click the subscribe button, put the 12-month subscription in your cart, and use promo code RVRADIO21. That's RVRADIO21, and you're gonna save 10%. Taking advantage of this deal, getting your hands on what's included in the package is the best way to enhance your performance this year.
1: Let's shift over to quarterbacks because I definitely want to get your thoughts on on QBs. And we have this this wave of new young hybrid quarterbacks. they, they have the ability to run and pass like we've sort of never seen before in the league. And, and I know some people have have taken to to basically say that now late round quarterback is a sort of a thing of the past because they have a different type of ceiling. The, you know, these, these hybrid QBs have a different type of ceiling. We have quarterback ADP now pushing up again at a very high, you know, to, I think maybe the highest level you would know probably better than me, but I think I saw some data that suggested it was as high as, as it's ever been or, or higher, or at least in, in the last few years. Cause back in the day, people were taking QBs way too high, but before you came along, the question is, you know, can, can these guys sustain it? First of all, can, can they continue to run like this as they get a little bit older and those types of things? And you know, is this gonna be like a, a new wave, a new, a new way that we're playing? And then also how should we adjust? How do we adjust to the fact that Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray and, and all of these guys are so different than than the elite quarterbacks of years past?
2: Yeah, so there's a lot to to say about the quarterback position, I think. I think it's it's one of the most important things in fantasy football this season, just because of how we've sort of addressed the position in years past. One of the interesting things, though, you know, in terms of you know, Sean asked the question of like being able to see the next big thing or foresee it happening. I think a lot of people, and I, I talked about it on my podcast last year. Uh, we saw that last season the quarterback market, the ADP of these quarterbacks, was probably the most efficient from like a preseason standpoint and what we were projecting to happen it was probably one of the most efficient markets that we had seen since I started analyzing this stuff. Back, you know, ten years, been like a decade or so, and and, and it's really just because. Finally, the market had caught up and understood that the rushing component is so important in fantasy football. And almost every single mobile quarterback was then being drafted, you know, in the top eight. And that's where, you know, you had that like Josh Allen line where that tier really broke. Um, and, and the interesting part of that is, uh, you know, obviously people come to me and they're like, oh, are you going to draft these guys in the middle round? You're the late round quarterback. Well, First off, late round quarterback is not about a game of chicken. It's about a game of value. It's just the way that quarterbacks have historically been drafted. They've, you know, you've been able to get value late and that's why the strategy exists. Uh, but the other thing that's that's important here is that back when I wrote that ebook in 2012, uh, the QB 12 was being drafted on average in round eight. Last season, the (laughs) last season, the QB6 was being drafted in round eight. So, if I was cool about getting the QB12 in round eight back in 2012, because the opportunity cost isn't that significant there, then I should be fine with drafting what would what we would now call a middle round quarterback in round eight, but because the opportunity cost doesn't necessarily you know change dramatically, right? Um, and so what we ended up seeing last season then was that yes, we finally saw. Really strong core, not really strong correlation because nothing's really strong correlation from, from a fantasy standpoint. What, what what we saw was there was stronger correlation last year in terms of looking at ADP of these quarterbacks to postseason result that we had seen since 2013. So I looked at top 24 quarterbacks where they were being ranked in ADP, looked at how many points they scored. Uh the R squared, I mean, between 2013 to last season, uh there was some R- there were some seasons where the R squared was literally zero. Like there was zero correlation between top 24 quarterbacks and how they finish. You could just throw darts and then, you know, that's what we saw throughout. I mean, like anecdotally what we saw throughout those years, but last season things changed. And the reason things changed was because we saw these, these dual threat quarterbacks who had the rushing ability and the passing ability combined to really elevate themselves. Right. Um, and so the, the, the difference, I think from a predictive standpoint, that's what we're really worried about here, right? We're worried about what's going to happen in 2021 and this next big thing. The, the thing that I'm focused on most is that I do think that these quarterbacks are going to end up being more predictable than what we'd seen in 2016, 2017, let's say, because historically when a pocket passer, you know, let's just lump them in as mobile or pocket passers, even though there's some that are in the you know gray area. Uh, but the the traditional pocket passers, if they were going to be really, really fantasy relevant, it really just meant that they were going to have a, an outlier season from a touchdown rate standpoint. Really? That, that's what it, Matt Ryan, the ones, even Cam Newton's MVP season, he had an outlier season from a touchdown rate standpoint. And so in, in last year, Aaron Rodgers, second highest touchdown rate uh, of all time, even Tom Brady had a high touchdown rate. So the, these pocket passers who become fantasy relevant in some way you know, they're, and they're, they're really doing it because they're throwing touchdowns at an unsustainable rate, but that's something that fluctuates and regresses to the mean each and every season. Whereas we don't necessarily see that as much with the rushing component. And because that baseline is there for these more elite quarterbacks, um, who can also throw the ball well, because that, that rushing baseline is there. I feel better about the predictiveness of the position because one of the big reasons why you could get quarterbacks late historically is is because from a season-long perspective, they were not predictive. Like I said, you know, there was no correlation between ADP and postseason result. But I think now there is. And we're in this, this window, and we can talk about this too, but we're in this window right now where we don't know what the influx of talent necessarily will look like and how they'll translate. You know, these these dual-threat guys like Justin Fields, Trey Lance, etc. So there is uh, an edge to be had uh, technically with, with some of these uh, you know, dual-threat quarterbacks. Um, and getting them in the middle rounds, where once again, the middle rounds, the opportunity cost really isn't that significant. You know, whenever I did the late round quarterback stuff, I was talking about quarterbacks being drafted in round two and round three, where things are a lot different these days.
3: I do think it's going to be interesting to see if these quarterbacks can maintain some of the elements because when we're talking about the seasons that were put up I and mean, you have this combination of elite passing with rushing that, you know, as those guys get a little bit older and from a dynasty perspective, too. It will be interesting to see how they develop, you know, if we're overpaying in the Superflex formats right now, obviously, Dynasty, that first round, very, very quarterback heavy. You expect Superflex to be quarterback heavy, but it'll be interesting to see if the specific guys who are being taken are the ones that pan out. Judah, I wanted to ask you about the idea of, obviously, we see that if everybody plays late round quarterback, there's not a huge value to you. Now, if you're the one guy who takes the quarterback really early, then you end up being the loser, but it becomes less valuable. We move into this season where a lot of people are going to be playing these hybrid quarterbacks. I'm wondering, is there a difference between sort of anything goes now at QB and the idea that you either want to have one of these stars or play late round quarterback? I could really see late round QB being more influential in 2021 than it's been in a long time because if you make the choice not to attack some of those hybrid QBs but then you hit your guys very late do you like that approach is is that something that's viable in terms of still putting your roster together and playing some matchups with some high upside guys who are more pure passers late?
2: Yeah. So, you know, I I think that uh, another thing that's been sort of misunderstood with at least the way that I approach late round quarterback is that I'm not going into a season hoping to stream like that's not my that's not my goal. You know, my goal is to really hit on who that late round quarterback is you know hopefully two years you know a couple of years ago was Lamar Jackson and uh you know last season you had like Justin Herbert if you're able to get him off the waiver wire in a lot of leagues i mean there's there there are those instances where like you want to get that late round quarterback and then the idea is obviously if that guy doesn't pan out then you know, in most leagues, I mean, there's some that are going to be deeper and such, but in most leagues, you're going to be able to just go out on the waiver wire and stream some sort of Frankenstein. Now I'll say this, I, I do the, the living the stream podcast with, with our, our friend, Denny Carter, and we've been keeping track of our quarterback picks on that show for the last six years. Um, and so we're looking at quarterbacks who are rostered in about a third or fewer of leagues every week. Uh, we're giving some recommendations and then we're seeing what their points scored is in that week. And we're tracking and putting together a, a, a quarterback Frankenstein. Now, with with that exercise, we're not un, we're not able to have the advantage of saying, oh, we got Deshaun Watson off the waiver wire his rookie year, uh, and so we're just going to play him week in and week out because the the uh, percent rostered changes, right? Um, but even still, we're typically streaming like QB sixes, QB six to QB seven, right? Um, but last season it was like QB nine, QB ten, right? It was the it was by far uh, the worst season that we've had streaming, and I think that it comes down to the fact that it was a very efficient market and it ended up being, uh, you know, the, the top eight quarterbacks generally all hit for the most part. And, uh, you know, y- you weren't able to find uh, as as big of an edge uh, by just getting guys off the waiver wire and playing them. And so I do think that there's more risk in doing that right now in this, in, in, at least in the immediate climate, in the 2021 climate, because what I think is going to happen realistically, and this is sort of like what one of the big things that I, I you know wanted to just generally say uh, while talking to you guys is, is that we're seeing an inflow there's there are obviously a lot of uh, college tendencies being adopted in the NFL and then have been over the last handful of years, right? And as a result of that, we're seeing the typical college quarterback, who is dual threat? Maybe doesn't have the best arm in the world, but be a lot more viable at the NFL level because teams, whether it's because they're actually good and teams are evaluating them differently, or teams are maybe more willing to work with those players. You know, I think that like ten years ago, we I could have we could have easily seen a situation where the Eagles just didn't even want to mess with Jalen Hurts, right? Uh, but now they are, and so we're seeing more opportunities for these dual threat passers, and we saw that in this. Past year's draft, right, and in, in, in April's draft, where you get Trey Lance, you get Justin Fields, and, and if, and then obviously, you know Trevor Lawrence has sort of like that Andrew Luck mobility to him, and, and could bring some some love there on the ground. And so the way that I view things right now is, yes, in 2021 we have like a concrete handful of quarterbacks who you can get in the middle rounds. You should feel good about uh, week in and week out, and and streaming might not be as viable as a result, but. If we continue to get the, this influx of, of, of good quarterback talent that is dual threat, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, if, if even a fraction of them hit, like 50% of them hit, or even lower than that, uh, then all of a sudden you're going to easily get to 12 quarterbacks uh, that are viable, right? And if we are if we have 12 quarterbacks who realistically have a QB1 ceiling, ceiling, then in a 12-team league, why would you draft one early, right? That's the, that's the whole point, is that there's a lot of usable quarterbacks late. And so... That's sort of the way that I'm viewing it is that this season, like if I'm looking strictly at 2021, I'm fine and I'm, I'm more fine than I've ever been and getting more of those middle round quarterbacks, a little bit, a little bit of a safety thing. But if I'm not getting those guys, uh, I'm, I'm honestly going to throw a dart at one of the rookies or throw a dart at, you know, maybe like a Ryan Tannehill or something who has that, that mobility. And I still think that can be viable, but from a dynasty standpoint, then to your point, Sean, this off season, uh, you know, rookie dr- or, uh, startup drafts have just been, littered with these first round quarterbacks, right? I think that is going to get people in trouble down the road because not only to your point, could these quarterbacks not be as mobile friendly down the line because they just age. Uh, but also if we do see an influx of these quarterbacks and all of a sudden that devalues those other quarterbacks, because there's better options that you can be getting uh, you know, later in your draft. So that's sort of my, my general view on things is that I do think that late round quarterback is viable this year. I think that, uh, it it might not be as viable as it's been historically, but it would not shock me at all. If you went with that approach to be somewhat contrarian that it worked because there are some players out there who have that kind of ceiling and have that kind of potential. And then I think what we're going to see moving forward, then maybe even, maybe even as soon as 2022, uh, we'll see the, the norm be pushed back to being a little bit more late round quarterback. As long as, you know, we see like at least one of these quarterbacks hit like a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance.
1: Uh, I that was such an interesting answer, and and I that's sort of how I've been playing it as well. I think in some ways you can suggest that that 2021 could be the year of the rookie QB because it's it, I mean, Trey Lance and Justin Fields are the 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 obvious answers, but also I think if they weren't in this class, we would be talking more about the fact that Trevor Lawrence was actually pretty mobile in, yeah, right. in college and, and the fact that. Uh, Zach Wilson can move around a little bit and has a big arm and you know Jets are a completely different team this year we don't really know what they're going to look like but he's going to start from week one he has a little bit of the Justin Herbert vibe just from the sense that people are sort of dismissing the you know something I know Sean was was on last year early with Herbert and I was not and I was not listening to him that like just because no one wants to draft him in fantasy doesn't mean Justin Herbert sucks he got drafted in the top 10 like you know be open to it Uh and, and that could very well be the case with Zach Wilson too so there's there's four rookie quarterbacks that have a little mobility. And, and I think Tannehill is another great point too. I, I do. where. Sorry, go ahead. I didn't. No, I was just going to say where, where the point that you made of all of those points that, that I hadn't considered yet was if we do continue to see these elite seasons from these top guys, but those guys hit too, then all of a sudden, Everybody gets gets one of these quarterbacks and then they're devalued again. I mean, I think that's a really important point.
2: I, I think that the other thing that's probably really pertinent to this discussion is the fact that last year, numbers across the board were just insanely high, right? And, you know, you can point to things like the aggressiveness on fourth down, the more play action, uh, offensive holding calls were down dramatically last year, which is probably a really big reason as to why, you know, we saw at least somewhat of an increase Uh, in, in, in overall touchdowns across the league. But the other thing that, that I think that we can't ignore is that there's a very obvious thing that happened last year that didn't happen in years prior. And there was a pandemic that was going on. Right. And, and with that pandemic came no crowd and no crowd noise, which I think influenced not only did we see home field advantage drop a little bit, but it also can influence what happens to quarterbacks, uh, uh, opposing quarterbacks in a way, quarterbacks, because they're at the line of scrimmage. They're able to dictate everything, and then not only that, but you have a shortened and this truncated uh, mini camp and off season and such and training camp where these guys weren't prepared and ready. Offenses dictate what happened on a football field. Defenses don't. So that's why we saw even back in 2011 to 20. I think it was 2011. The the near lockout uh, at the beginning of that season, the first few weeks of that season, offensive numbers were through the roof, and a lot of that has to do with the fact I think just you know intuitively has to do with the fact that defenses don't know what's coming. They have to work in a more cohesive way than offenses do. Um, and so offenses are sort of at an advantage. And we saw the exact same thing last season where overs were hitting at a crazy rate to start the year uh, and numbers were out. I mean, Russell Wilson had like 45 touchdowns for the first three weeks of the season. I mean, so, so I do think that there's something to that where you know we know that passing numbers regress. Uh, and so maybe there will be some regression from that standpoint. And then we'll see late round quarterback be enhanced a little bit this season just because if numbers are regressing a bit, then numbers are just going to naturally meet in the middle a little bit more. um, And that's not going to give those, those quarterbacks as big of an advantage. Within that
3: question or that point, how does Patrick Mahomes fit in who is more expensive than the hybrid QBs? Seems like he's on the path to being the greatest quarterback of all time, but yet, you know, we've had seasons from Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, those types of guys And as you pointed out, it didn't necessarily make sense to pick them in fantasy.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Right. Because I think that we basically are just accepting Patrick Mahomes as an outlier in a way. uh, And we're just saying like, okay, this is what we're getting from Mahomes. Um, But yeah, I mean, I, I think that there is something to be said about how people value safety versus the word va- just value itself, right? And how people approach the early rounds of their draft, and they say, "I want this guy because he's safe," but they're not actually looking at expected value. They're just saying this guy is safe and he has a floor. Whereas I look at it as, like, yeah, I have Patrick Mahomes my QB one because from a dynasty standpoint, especially obviously, he's safe for years and years to come, and we should feel confident in that. Um, but I don't think that there should be this massive, massive gap at all between a guy like Mahomes and even like Lamar Jackson. Uh, because we know that Lamar Jackson has that, that break the season type of ceiling. Uh, and, and Patrick Mahomes obviously does too, but I think that people buy in more to that safety than they buy into that actual expected value. So, you know, I'm, I, I think my answer to that would be, I'm always going to be lower on Patrick Mahomes because I know that there are going to be a group of other quarterbacks who have just as high of a ceiling because they are more mobile than me. I know Ben has a couple more questions he, he wants to to get to you here before we run out of time, but I, I did want
3: to ask what the pandemic, that played a huge role. Is there any chance that some of these things that feel like the next thing, right, that happened in 2021, the teams are going to look at what they did last year when there weren't crowds and say, you know, that actually was a better way to play it. We should take those things forward into the season, even though maybe it was easier last year when the crowd noise wasn't there.
2: Yeah, I think that this is sort of like my general philosophy with fantasy. Because when I build projections and when I think about fantasy, I always start at the top level, you know, team level, league wide level, and then I sort of narrow down into the player level. And so, but when I'm looking at that stuff, I'm very open minded to being wrong or to variance, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm not necessarily thinking that the 2021 season is going to just bounce all the way back to how it was in 2019, 2018. You know, I think that there are reasons at least that we can latch on to, whether it's that one, because I think that's valid in a way. I mean, teams are teams clearly did something maybe a little bit different last year because they, uh, I mean, we saw like over 120 more touchdowns scored last year than the year before that. Um, and so maybe they latch on to that, but I also think that there are things to latch on to when it comes, like I said, to the offensive holding stuff, uh, to the play action stuff. Um, and, and so, because of that, I'm more open-minded to saying that, yeah, maybe this past year was was not necessarily the expectation, but maybe we get you know somewhere closer to that than we do to the 2019 season. Um, and if you're open to that, then you would still see, uh, you know, that 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 sh- that uh, advantage that some of those quarterbacks are giving you, right? And so, I think you know, if you're building a portfolio out, that's that's sort of the way that I would view things is that you know, you don't need to only go with a middle round quarterback strategy or a a dual threat quarterback strategy. You can get, you can go late round quarterback as well because you're doing both things because you're really betting on uh, not only maybe one of the late round quarterbacks hitting, but you're betting on the league just shifting naturally, right? And if you have a lot of teams and a lot of leagues and you're building that portfolio, it makes sense to sort of be open-minded to all those different outcomes because I think all of them are very valid and I would be lying to you if I said I knew exactly how things were going to work out.
1: Yeah, I I, I, uh, I, did have some other questions. I, I think this discussion on quarterbacks has been fascinating. I'm, I'm obviously very glad that we brought you on. Um, but I, one of them relates to a lot of what you were just saying um, and, and how we're talking about these new mobile quarterbacks. And it also gets back to an earlier point you made about this influx of younger receivers. It's something I've been kind of um, obsessed with a little bit this offseason. Maybe it's not as important as I think it is, but – I'm really interested in the increased use of motion. I mean, you referenced like play action and a couple of these more analytics things that I think are really seeping into football and they're influencing um, fantasy football, but specifically the jet motion pre-snap stuff, I feel like is definitely on the rise. Just, you know, I haven't looked at any studies on that, but just certainly from watching it. And then it leads to all these tip passes that are just free receptions. And it seems to be the same player on on most of the teams. You have like Debo Samuel as as a great example last year. But then I was thinking, as you brought up the young receivers, uh, uh, particularly the shorter ones. Like, I, I think some of that goes back to way back to 2014, with the, the increased uh, um, emphasis on defensive holding and illegal contact, and all those things that have allowed receivers to run more free. And, and I think we've seen some smaller receivers do better in, in the past half decade than than historically we saw. But specifically with guys like a Rondale Moore, who's going to a, a spread offense. They're gonna run a ton of shotgun. They have a mobile quarterback, and they like to use jet motion as a way to, you know, keep the defense honest pre-snap as well. Uh, you know, obviously they have so much to account for post-snap with Kyler's mobility as well. Um, but how much have you considered, or are you considering um, how 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 a trend like that, just the the simple fact of of tip passes and um, who might have those specific roles? How, how things like that might influence um, the stats that we see, basically.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that you have to be open-minded to those types of players being a thing. Um, now, I, I think that the problem is more so predicting who those players end up being. Uh, and from a prospecting standpoint, you know, you can kind of try and you can kind of get there with some guys, uh, but you also run into a lot of players who you think are going to be that and then they're not that. Um, and, and they're not used in that sort of Debo way. Um, I, I think what's probably more pertinent is uh, what offenses they're going to, and and how that specific coordinator or coach, at least in the short term, would be able to utilize that kind of player. Um, because in the end, I mean, I'm still I'm still Team Alpha. You know, I'm still very much uh, Team Big Wide Receiver, and and I I'm attracted to that that kind of player because. In the end there's a lot more sustainability and you know there's a baseline there when you're trying to project that guy from college to the pros um and if i miss out on some of those other players who are uh you know smaller like a rondell moore i don't mind rondell moore you know the thing too is that like like when we're prospecting these guys i think a lot of people will get like fixated on you know rondell moore is small so therefore he won't be able to pan Devonte smith is small so therefore he won't be able to pan out but that, that's like a secondary piece to to what their overall profile is, right? Like Rondell Moore had. I mean, you guys know. I mean, he had the most prolific freshman year that I think my my database has ever seen, right? And so, at the same time, you have to recognize that and realize that like he could just be very, very good. Devonte Smith could just be very, very, very good. Um, and so, basically, what I'm saying is, I, I think that we're we're you know, if you have a strong process in how you're evaluating these wide receivers. And if that process is proven and back um, and, and of course, you know, go back every year and, and make sure that what you're doing is logical and makes sense with the changing uh, and the way the way the NFL is changing and such. Um, some of those guys just might slip through the cracks and I'm okay with that, I think. Um, whereas I'm because I, I don't want to overemphasize that kind of player, if that makes sense. You know, I don't want to I don't want to get so focused on uh, the Rondell Moore types or or you know someone who could be the next Debo, right? Uh, I mean, how many Debo comps did we see from from even this draft class, right? Like everyone's a, any any running back with great yak is Debo Samuel or AJ Brown at this point. Uh, but but you know I, I don't I don't want to I don't want to focus too much on that player because I think it's sort of uh, rem- it sort of changes and shifts my focus from what's more important and that's you know these bigger wide receivers who can score touchdowns who are really productive in college and who have good draft capital.
3: JJ, it's been. Awesome to have you on. I I have to say, I'm going to be trying quite a few late round QB drafts. And and like you said, the thing that I'm trying to do is hit on the next star, not necessarily make things work together. Uh, Take us out by number one, give me one more really late guy who could be the star for this season. And then tell us and tell our listeners what they should be looking forward to from you.
2: Yeah. So, you know, if you're looking at a late round quarterback, I I think, I mean, I've been, I've still been drafting a lot of Justin Fields and Trey Lance. I I think that it's just a logical thing to do. Uh, I think in our MFL 10 of death, I ended up taking Justin Fields in that one actually. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I I think that, that grab, you know, they're, they're very, very cheap and cost effective. And, you know, in, especially if you're, if you're looking from a best ball perspective and you're looking at like just ceiling and, and the range of outcomes and the players that you're taking, you're really just saying, I'm taking this guy and I'm just betting on him having a good season because I want that high ceiling team, uh, getting someone like Trey Lance makes a ton of sense because obviously that exists and his cost is depreciated because people don't necessarily expect him to start right away. Um, and so, and especially, I mean, from a redraft standpoint, it's almost like a, why not, uh, sort of thing. So I'm, I'm really gravitating towards, towards those players, those dual threat guys who, um, you know. Obviously, we we can pull data about rookie quarterbacks and pull data about rookies in general, and and say that they have, you know they have a lot stacked against them. Um, but we also can say that we haven't had many true true dual threat guys come out that are like this. You know, a guy running a four 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 forty, and a guy like Trey Lance with the with the uh, with the rushing uh, uh, production that he had in college. So really focused on on those two guys um, late this year. Uh, and then in terms of where you can find me, I'm on Twitter at late round QB. And then, uh, all of my, my brain vomit, as I like to call it, uh, is, is on my podcast, the late round podcast.
3: Do you have something cool you, you have coming out in the next week or so?
2: Oh yeah. Uh, so I'm just going to do, I I have a a series on regression right now that I'm doing on the podcast. And then after that, uh, I'm going to dig back into, I did studies last off season on uh, how to spot breakout running back wide receivers and tight ends. Um, and so I'm going to sort of dig back into those studies and then pull out some players who might be uh, good breakout candidates for this season.
3: A big thanks to JJ for being on stealing bananas this week. That wraps up our three show series on the question. What comes next? The evolution of the NFL. We had the macro ideas in show one, we gave you some player ideas in episode two we give you our favorite wide receivers our running backs if you want to play running back early our running backs if you want to play the late round or the zero running back approach today obviously jj has filled us in on exactly how we need to play the quarterback position in 2021 including uh taking justin fields taking trey lance leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app we had a number of those last week really appreciate those early reviews as i mentioned we will have a contest for that in the short term Uh, it'll have a a multi-layered effect to it so you know that ben and i like to do complicated things here we'll have a complicated multi-layered contest with these but you can get an early jump on it by leaving us that review this week